Tell me begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes. This day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from us. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I hope everybody had a good night last night. I enjoyed being able to visit with all of y'all uh, for our little question and answer session. And so now we're going to do our best to sort of wrap everything up, even though technically I'll wrap it up during the homily um, at Mass a little bit later on today. We, of course, have been looking at the parable of the prodigal son and seeing it as a, a conveying a message of merciful love. Uh, merciful love as not just forgiveness, but as being open to receiving others in an embrace and to allowing ourselves to be received. And so yesterday we looked at three primary obstacles that we face in allowing ourselves to be received. Shame, comparison, anger. And at the root of all of them are different things, mainly, primarily fear, the fear of getting hurt, and so, as a result, we hide, we distract, we build walls, or we attack. Also, a real confusion about our identity as to who we are exactly. And so today I want to look at what is so central for overcoming these tendencies, this fear. But not just allowing ourselves to be received in overcoming fear comparison, and anger, but the key to also giving merciful love, to actually receiving other people, because, as I alluded to on Friday night, this can be difficult too. It's hard to let ourselves be received, but it's also very difficult to let others in, into our embrace, into our lives, into our heart, because it is quite possible for us to get hurt too by the people that we let in. And that's why I think that the father in today's parable is a perfect example of that. So we had one, here's the loving father. You have one son who took off and squandered all of his wealth, but yet he welcomes him back. And the father knows that the son could do it again. The son could betray him again, take off again, deny his sonship again, and cause him pain. The other son, as we saw, is ungrateful and spurns his love, but still invites him into the house, still wants him to come into that relationship with him. You can imagine the pain that this father felt because of the rejection and the actions of his two sons. But the truth is, it's the same pain that many of you as parents are experiencing or potentially have experienced. But you chill, still choose, at least I hope, to love your spouse, to love your children, and to love others. You choose not to put up walls, not to reject, and not to cast out. And so what is the Father's secret? What is that secret to showing merciful love? 
Well, the truth is, it is a reality that is inherent in love itself. And I'll explain it by giving a very famous, and I think fairly well-known quote from C.S. Lewis. And he tells us this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And so that is what we've been driving for, the key to understanding it all, vulnerability, the need for us to be vulnerable in our loving relationships with others and also with God. And just like shame we talked about yesterday, because of Brene Brown, vulnerability is a pretty popular topic. It was her talk, her little TED talk on YouTube the power of vulnerability that really sort of launched her career. And so her discussing vulnerability really coincides well with our own understanding as Christians and as Catholics of what love is. Now, Brene Brown actually is a Catholic, even though she doesn't really talk much about her faith or her Catholic faith. So this word vulnerability, what does it mean? What's its etymology? Well, it comes from the Latin word vulnus, V-U-L-N-U-S. And vulnus in Latin means wound. A vulnus is a wound. And so to be vulnerable means that you are able to be wounded. You are able to be hurt. And what we're talking about in the context of love is not a physical vulnerability. We're not saying that you need to take off your suit of armor, but instead we're talking about a spiritual vulnerability, an emotional vulnerability, a vulnerability of the heart. That's what C.S. Lewis is discussing. This vulnerability of the heart is a precondition for being able to truly love, to receive others, and to allow yourself to be able to be received. But in order to do this, in order to love, in order to receive and be received, in order to be vulnerable, guess what? We've got to let down our defenses. You've got to take down the walls. You've got to power down the force field. Because loving means, as he said, taking a risk. To take the risk to receive others, to allow ourselves to be received. We could be betrayed, we could be abandoned, we could be neglected, we could be hurt. But if we keep our walls up, fine, we'll never be hurt. But as he says, our heart is going to calcify. 
It's going to become very hard. And we're not going to be able to love others or to love God or to let them love us. And so by saying to individuals who have been hurt in the past, who who have put up some walls, and we all have some very thick walls, some maybe very thin walls, it's going to take a lot of courage. Not just human courage, but I would dare say courage that comes as a gift of the Holy Spirit. The courage to drop down the walls. The courage to love and to let other people in. And so this reveals a really great irony. We normally think, well, I'm a strong person. I'm tough. I'm never going to get hurt. Well, actually, those people are the weakest. Those people are the ones who are the cowards because they're hiding behind their walls. To truly be a strong person means that you are going to be vulnerable. The vulnerable individuals are the strong ones who don't have up all the walls. Granted, we're talking, we're not going to talk, we're talking about there needs, still needs to be boundaries, but we are the ones who are courageous, courageous enough to be weak, to accept their weakness, their imperfection, to accept the chance of getting hurt. But this has to be done. This openness to vulnerability has to be done if we are going to expect to truly live lives of joy and not be isolated, walled up, and miserable. Does this make sense? So the key word is vulnerability for everything we've talked about. And for Christians, Jesus is the model, the paradigm of what it means to be vulnerable. Christ taught his apostles. He teaches us a lesson in his own vulnerability, not only in what he said, but more importantly, by the way he behaved, by what he did. God becoming man is the greatest vulnerability. By coming down from heaven and becoming man and taking on flesh, he exposed himself to be hurt. And even more, to become a child. The the chance of being neglected, the chance of being murdered by Herod. They had to flee to Egypt in order to uh, to, uh, to avoid that. But during his life, Jesus loved. He received others and he allowed himself to be received. His mother received him as a child, the apostles, as his friends. But most importantly, in his prayer to his father, Christ allowed himself to be received and to receive others. And so he gives an example of what it means to truly love and not have have the walls up. But the most important way he did it is on the cross. And his passion and death, that's the most vulnerable, the most exposed. His friends abandon him and betray him. He's tortured His very heart is pierced by the sword. But without that vulnerability, guess what? There's no resurrection. Without that pain, there's no immortality. And so in the same way, if we want to experience joy, we are going to have to be vulnerable. And Christ's vulnerability continues even today. Where is Jesus the most vulnerable? the most weak in the Eucharist, 
because there are no defenses. He cannot fight back. He allows himself to be received by us, his creatures, in the most weak and vulnerable way. And so we can look to Christ and we can look to others that we know are vulnerable and know how to let others in and to allow themselves to be loved. But how do we do it? How practically do we who have been wounded and scarred and have our walls up and deal with shame and insecurity and comparison and anger, how do we learn vulnerability? I'm going to offer three ways of doing it. Three ways of doing it. First of all, we have got to admit that we have walls. We have force fields. That we have wounds and that the walls surround these wounds. But quite often, we don't want to look at the wounds. We don't want to look at those things that we're trying to hide or trying to keep away from others. And so in our prayer, we can ask the Lord to show us the wounds, show us what's there. Even better, we can ask our spouses to do that. Now, hopefully they'll do it in a very loving and kind way, but I'm going to bet your spouse knows what your wounds are, knows where the walls are, and knows why they are up. And so, to be able to expose those wounds in front of the Lord, in front of the spouse, and to get the help that you need. Does it matter if you're 50 years old or 60 years old? Go to counseling. Go to therapy as an individual or as a couple. If you need medicine because you're struggling from anxiety or depression, there should be no shame about that. We're not living in 1930. I mean, really, people, the, 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 the stigma that used to exist about going to a therapist because I don't want people to think that I'm crazy, that should not exist anymore. They can give us the tools to tear down the walls and to really find healing from our wounds. We need prayer. We need to go to healing conferences, whatever you want. That's all great. But don't be ashamed to go to therapy and get the help that you need. But also realize that you can use all the tools that are available to you. The walls are not going to be torn down overnight. It's going to take a long time. It is going to be arguably a very, very tedious process. But it is one that is very necessary if we are going to grow. So we've got to be patient. But the advice that I give you is start the work yourself. Initiate the process yourself because if God has to initiate the process, probably won't be as pleasant. Probably won't be as pleasant. Not taking down the walls ourselves, that's not going to be pleasant, but it's going to be a little bit, if not a lot, easier. And so that's the first thing. Admit we have walls, admit we have wounds, and take those steps to start fixing it. But the best way that we can do it, the truth is, is by taking small risks and loving others and allowing ourselves to be loved. This is the way we remove it brick by brick, 
let the water wash over those concrete walls and wear them down. We especially can do this with our spouses. We could also potentially do it with our children if they're grown or our close friends, someone that we feel safe with. You don't want to go expose your wounds and be vulnerable with the random person on the street, but you can do it with someone you feel safe with. Hopefully that's your spouse, but quite often, as we're going to see, that may not be the case. But we've got to be willing to drop our guard and to be able to talk about what's in our hearts, not just what's in our heads, but what is in our hearts, to bring it to light, to talk about the shame, to talk about the insecurity, to talk about the anger and the pain, to say what you're feeling and to not be embarrassed about it, not worried about seeming weak, even worse about worrying about crying. And the truth is that other person has probably gone through the same thing. They're going to be able to hopefully understand it and receive you with love. And so all you got to really do is not say, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to understand it, but allow yourself to be loved and received because that spouse is supposed to be, in particular, a channel of God's love for you. When you allow your spouse to love you without putting up the walls, then that is allowing the Father to love you. That is allowing Christ to love you through your spouse. And so when Jesus says, be like a child, it means that you've got to allow yourself to be received and allow yourself to be loved. Is this easy to do? No, it is not. But the truth is, it is often harder for men. That men do not want to appear weak, and they often associate the heart and feelings with weakness. And so what happens is men become emotionally distant. That's what they, we like to do. We don't talk about our feelings. We don't show our spouse or our children what we're really going through. And of course, it can cause serious problems. But as we talked about yesterday, children need it. Boys and girls need it. And also, fellas, if you know how to be emotionally vulnerable, your wives are going to love it. They're going to love it. They're like sharks to water. I mean, sharks to blood. They're not going to eat you alive. But really, if you want to please your wife, and if you want to grow in that deeper intimacy, open up your hearts to them. The strongest men that I know are the ones who are willing to be vulnerable and willing to be weak. And the ones who I believe truly are scared, and many of them are cowards, are the ones who refuse to do it. And they're just destining themselves to lives of misery. So whether you're a guy or a girl, a man or a woman, we do it gradually and over time as we're not rejected, as we're embraced and we're loved, it becomes easier, very gradually. Are we going to get hurt though? Oh yeah, we are. Sometimes even when we're vulnerable, our spouse may reject us, our friends may not want to hear about it. We are going to get hurt. But that's part of being vulnerable. That's part of loving. If you choose to love and to receive love, you are going to get hurt. But if every time you get hurt, you run away and you put up walls, then you're not doing any good. You've got to be able to withstand the pain sometimes to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
and be able to move on. And this is where the third part, and the really important part, enters, is going back to the whole purpose of the parable, of talking about forgiveness as an expression of merciful love. Probably the most painful, the most humiliating way of growing in love and vulnerability is seeking and granting forgiveness. That younger son had to show a tremendous amount of vulnerability by approaching his father, by asking for forgiveness. Why? Because he had to admit he was wrong, and he realized that maybe the dad would say, I'm not accepting it. I don't want you. You betrayed me. Or the father could have held it over his head. It was a great risk he was taking. But as I mentioned earlier, the father, in accepting the son back, also took a great risk. The risk of being betrayed again. The truth is, though, the father already forgave his son before the son even had to ask for it. And that's the key. That's the gift is that our forgiveness, if we're truly vulnerable, has to exist before the other person asks for it. And what's going to happen is even though we let others in and we forgive or we ask for forgiveness, the chances are we're still going to get hurt. Particularly, we realize how hard it can be when we have to say we're sorry to our spouse or to our children. Priests have to do it too. Sisters have to do it too. It takes a great act of humility. And every time that happens, you run the risk of being rejected, of being humiliated. Now this quote here, I think, really sums it up. It's from Jean Vanier, the founder of the L'Arche Communities, uh, who founded this community that really deals with and helps to minister to the mentally handicapped and disabled. He died about a month ago, probably will be canonized one day. It's this very short, succinct quote. Love is an act of endless forgiveness. An endless forgiveness. If you love someone, you're going to be willing to forgive them. You're going to be willing to say, I accept your apology, even though you realize it opens you up to being wounded again. Probably the best way, though, that we can express this vulnerability in asking for forgiveness is by going to confession. This is why it's so hard for people to go to confession. They are scared to admit they made mistakes, that they're weak, that they're imperfect. They're afraid Father is going to chew them out or whatever it is. But we've got to let our guards down and ask for forgiveness from the Father knowing that he intends to and desires to give that forgiveness. And so whether it be in the confessional, whether it be with a spouse, a child, or a friend, every time that we ask for forgiveness and we receive it, it's like, as one author said, a small resurrection. Something that died rises to new life. From that moment of vulnerability comes a moment of joy. And so, just like the father clothing the younger son, every time that we ask for forgiveness and receive mercy, whether it be from our loved one, whether it be from God, 
we are clothed again and are restored to our identity as sons and daughters and as spouses. But the beautiful thing is this, the more we take those small little steps, the more we risk in being vulnerable in our hearts with other people, the easier it becomes to carry it into our relationship with God, the easier it is to carry it into our prayer. Because so often when we go to prayer, we've got big walls up. Many of us are ashamed of our own imperfection. We're angry at God because of some perceived injustice. And so we go to prayer with our own agenda, all kinds of things to say, all kinds of things to do to distract us. We're going to seem holy, but the reality is that we really want to use those walls and distractions not to let the Lord into our hearts. But as we become more vulnerable with others and we carry it into our prayer, we learn to really pray. Tell those people all the time. You've got to learn to stop just saying prayers. Just because you say prayers and you recite a bunch of novenas doesn't mean you're praying. You're just talking. There's nothing wrong with vocal prayer, but real prayer is not about saying or doing. It is about being. Being with the Lord. Being vulnerable. Allowing Him to love us. That's the, what real prayer is. That's what contemplation is. But as you learn to drop your guards and you don't need to have all these defenses up, it's going to become easier to be silent, to pray and to receive and allow yourself to be received. Because prayer is ultimately not what you do, but prayer is what the Father does in and through us. And so this creates this beautiful cycle. The more we can risk and be vulnerable with people, it's easier to do with God. And the easier it becomes to do with God, the easier it becomes to do with other people. People who know how to pray are people who know how to love, who know how to be vulnerable and to give and to receive. Now y'all are all probably like, Father, this is so beautiful, this is so wonderful, this touches my heart, uh, I understand better about vulnerability, and about giving and receiving, receiving others, allowing myself to receive. But what about the fact that for so many years, I've struggled in my relationship with my spouse? There's been so much pain, so much rejection. It all sounds great, but the reality is much different. And so sort of like some of the questions I got last night and a bunch of the other questions that I've gotten over the years. It sounds great, Father, but what about a spouse you can't trust, who continuously betrays you and violates your trust? What about the spouse who constantly plays the victim and blames other people? What about the spouse who, who won't let you in and continuously pushes you away? What about the spouse who continues to deliberately hurt you? What about the one that won't forgive and holds a grudge, is angry? What about the one who's an addict to pornography, to alcohol, to drugs? What about the one who is violent and abusive? What do we do in those situations? It takes a lot more to say, let's be vulnerable. 
Because over and over and over again, you have been vulnerable and you have been hurt and there hasn't been any change. And so the truth is, is I can't offer you a clear solution. Every situation is different because every person is unique and every marriage is unique. These are hard situations that do require prudence because we have the truth of the gospel but the reality of our own experience. We know that we are called to love unto death, but we also realize that we can only love someone to the degree that they are allowing themselves to be loved. We are called to hope for others' conversion, for them to change, but we also realize, I hope you realize by now, ain't no way you're gonna make anybody else change. It's a futile effort to make another person change. We're called to forgive 70 times, seven times, Jesus says, but we know that we don't need to tolerate abuse. We can't keep going back to an abuser. And so even though I can't tell you what to do in every situation, you know I have already given the advice to love and to be vulnerable and to forgive but the truth is this, and it's something I preached on last weekend. Jesus says that we need to love one another as he has loved us, and that love is important. But we all know this reality. Sometimes truly loving another person means telling them no. No. We learn this as children. And you've taught your children this. No, you can't play with the scissors. No, you can't stay out that late. No, you can't do those things. And they were hard for us to hear when we were younger, but now we hopefully understand when our parents told us that, they told us that we couldn't do those things because we were loved by them. But as you become adults, as we become adults, we can't tell other people, no, you can't do this. Because they have freedom, and we need to respect their freedom. You can't tell your spouse, no, you can't do this. No, I don't want you doing that. Because they may or may not listen. So what we can say is not, no, you can't do it, but no, I can't do it. Or no, I won't do it. And that's not a rejection. It's not putting up walls. Sometimes it is the most important way we could tell someone we love that we love them. I'm not advocating for divorce. I'm not advocating for that at all. I'm advocating that we work through things, that we forgive and that we love, but also I'm advocating for boundaries. I said that last night. You can read that book. Jesus did it too. I am going to say no to you people using my father's house as a marketplace. Get out. I'm going to say no to you, Peter. Get behind me. You're tempting me. Jesus loved others, but he also told them no. And sometimes if we find ourselves in these difficult situations where we have been vulnerable and open ourselves to love over and over again, but we continuously get beat down, it doesn't mean that we close off our hearts, but it may mean that we say no in a time of physical separation. Not advocating divorce, but time of physical separation. It doesn't mean giving up on the other person, 
but it says, I'm not taking this anymore. You need to go work on your problems. I'm praying for you, I'm loving you, and I'll be there when you come back. But it's letting go of control and putting it in the Lord's hands and enduring whatever suffering that comes from it because loving means the cross and means suffering for those we love and suffering to the point that we want what is good for others. And whether it be a spouse, particularly whether it be children who are addicts, who are abusive, who are negligent, sometimes it means saying no. And you don't need to feel guilty for it because it is a true act of love, as hard as it is to understand. And so what I want to do is sort of wrap this up uh, by talking about the true meaning of this vulnerability. Because if we are going to be vulnerable, if we are going to love, if we are going to receive others and allow ourselves to be received, even though we may have to put boundaries, what we're ultimately doing is admitting that we're weak and imperfect, that we can be hurt, that we are not unhurtable, or our defenses are so high that we can never be brought down. We've got to admit that we're weak, that we're imperfect, that we do suffer pain, that we do suffer loss. That's what vulnerability means, admitting you're not perfect, admitting I'm not perfect and we're weak. But that weakness ought not be an obstacle to holiness, but it could, can be that bridge to really encountering the power and the merciful love of the Father by saying, I can't do it alone. I know you're not going to reject me. Please show me your love. I let go of control, and I allow you to take control of my life. This is the message of St. Teresa's Little Way. Not doing small things in love so much, but admitting our own human weakness, embracing that vulnerability as a path to God and merciful love is rather than someone that should push us, something that should push us away. And so I'm going to close, as I've been doing, with another quote from Father Jacques Philippe from that same book, where he talks about embracing our weakness. He talks about vulnerability to a certain extent. And I'll leave it with this as we prepare uh, to go to the Mass. The great mystery lying behind the positive face of human weakness, weakness is a bridge to God, is the mystery of love. In love, there is a great power, but it is veiled in a mystery of weakness. Paul can say the weakness of God is stronger than human wisdom because God's weakness expresses his limitless love for humankind, whose human condition he wanted to take upon himself. So, How did God show, choose to show he loved us? By becoming weak, by becoming vulnerable on the cross. At the heart of all authentic love, there is a mystery of weakness. If we're going to love, we are going to expose our vulnerability, we're going to expose our weakness. Love means accepting and being accepted. As a Carthusian monk said, quote, without being judged or condemned and without invidious comparisons. 
Once we really begin to believe in the infinite tenderness of the Father, we are, as it were, obliged to descend ever more fully and joyfully into a realm in which we neither possess nor understand nor control anything, unquote. That's the thing. Even our desires to understand and to control our desires to get rid of our own weakness and our desire to put up walls. The path to love, the path to holiness, is ultimately the path of weakness, the path of vulnerability, the path of the cross. The embrace of the Father is shown in Jesus, who is the icon of the Father in his open arms, the embrace that he gives to us. It's not a path that is always earthly pleasurable or happy, but it is one that brings tremendous joy through vulnerability and being received by him and learning to receive others. Amen. Thank you.